amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. time to begin and wherever you are whenever you are and however you happen to be listening we're so glad you have chosen to tune in to dlc especially if you are one of our geeks who speak hey have you registered to vote yet we're getting close it's so easy go to vote.org you can register to vote we got to have our voices heard too it's that time of year it's so important get on it dlc is on the air and DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that's completely free, thanks to our sponsor this week, Casper. They made that possible. DLC, of course, the show, all about games, and there are many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who... Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. What? Uh, where am I? Christian Spicer, everybody. Christian Spicer. Hello, Jeff. Welcome back. Glad to have you back in the saddle um, hosting. People were very kind. They said I, I did an okay job hosting. Chris Bergman was great to run second chair with me. We held it down. You were great from the car. And um, if you hear noise at my house, there is literally construction going on like at the end of my driveway. I will try to mute and kind of unmute um, my mic and stuff. But, uh, you know, we're doing it. We're doing Christian, it. Christian, you did a great job last week. I really appreciate it. And uh, evidently, every, according to everyone else, all of our listeners, I'm, uh, I'm superfluous. So it's great. It's great to be back. <laughs> it's great to be back. Um, and what a week. Oh, my gosh. We have so much to talk about. News, explosions, uh, great games to talk about. And we have an awesome guest, uh, one of my favorite guests. You know that DLC always is your downloadable Kanata, your downloadable Christian. Uh, but this week, DLC is going to stand for dads leaving their children briefly to talk about video games. Because we have another dad joining us. And you know him from 1UP Yours, GameSpot, EGM, GamePro, what they play. Pretty much every important video game publication in the last 20 years. And now he is guiding Rolling Stone's video game coverage in the form of Glixel. Our friend, Mr. John Davison. Hey, John. Hello. You know, I could tell uh, when your feeding was last night because you sent me the show notes at 3 a.m. <laughs> yes, that is, uh, that's my life now. That's, that's what, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to want to do that in the morning. I'm going to want to do it right this second. Uh, also, we should point out that John's uh, Glixel offices are extremely fancy, and therefore you're here probably hearing a little echo on his end. Uh, but I think it's worth it to have John on the show. 
So uh, please, you know, hold the emails. We know there's a little echo. I think you guys can handle it. It's I'll just fun. go really close to the microphone. <laughs> yeah, no, so it's it great. Be very sexy. Uh, John, tell us about Glixel. We haven't talked to you since this whole thing kicked off. It, it's awesome. Uh, I'm getting the newsletters. I'm enjoying them. But tell me a little bit about how it began and what it is. So it actually goes <laughs> – let me take you back nearly 20 years. I, I mean, actually, um, it ended up being uh, tying back to my time on EGM. Um, back in the late 90s, we sort of aspired to, you know, make EGM Rolling Stone for video games. And uh, apparently that stuck with some people because uh, when Rolling Stone started taking an interest in the video game space to kind of expand their pop culture presence. The fact that we used to talk about that came up. There was a, there was a writer that used to write for me on EGM called David Kushner, who now writes for Rolling Stone and lots of other great publications. And uh, he brought my name up as someone that sort of aspired to that kind of thing. And I, I got chatting with the guys at Rolling Stone about where we thought coverage of video games could go long term and that you know news previews reviews has been sort of traditionally how it's done but when something matures as part of pop culture then you've got you know there's a lot more potential and they were really interested in exploring that and uh, that's what we set out to do um we're launching the site hopefully end of october is the plan we're building it right now but in the meantime we've been posting stories to rolling stones culture section so we do between five and 10 stories a week. And then we put a newsletter out every week, which you can sign up for at glixel.com, G-L-I-X-E-L. Um, and right now we're just trying to sort of experiment with the kinds of stories that you can tell about video games that are, you know, hopefully a little unexpected and out of the ordinary. It's really cool. And it's a different take. And uh, anybody that isn't isn't checking out Glixel already. You guys really owe it to yourself to, to uh, sign up for the newsletter because um, really great high-level commentary that you're just not going to find anyplace else. I'm, I'm really impressed with what you guys are putting together. It's oh, cool. thank you. It's, <laughs> it's really hard. I mean, for me, it's been a real education because I'm working really closely with the guys on Rolling Stone who have been just phenomenal. There's, uh, the first person that reached out to me was a senior reporter on Rolling Stone who was sort of working on this project to sort of look at video games, a guy called Brian Hyatt. He writes a lot of the cover stories for Rolling Stone. Like, just amazing journalist. Um, way out of my league. Like, I'm nowhere near as good as this guy. But what's been great is working with him and, and with the sort of editorial leadership on Rolling Stone who have been like, look, you know, this is how we approach a pop culture story. This is how we approach a profile or an interview. And it's the kind of feedback that coming up through the sort of games journalism channels that you, you just don't get that kind of feedback. And it's been fantastic. I, I mean, it was, to be honest, a little humiliating at first. <laughs> <laughs> um, because they'd be like, you know, uh, this is a bit shit. It, you, should just, <laughs> you should just cut it. Um, I, but thankfully, we're, you know, I mean, I've been doing this 25 years, and, and it, it is honestly, once I got over my ego having the shit kicked out of it, um, to, to be able to, to learn from people that, that are doing what we aspire to do every day, it's just, it was just the kind of thing that I never thought I would have the opportunity to do. And it's, it, it is hard work, but it's what we're trying to do as well is we're, we're a very small team right now. There's just four of us in San Francisco, um, three edit and one video. Um, we are going to be growing over time, but we're working with a lot of freelancers. And our, and our goal is just to 
pass along as much of this knowledge to the freelancers that we work with as we can. So we can help, you know, as many people as we can make writing about video games that much more, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. And I can't wait to see when the, when the site launches in October. That's really cool. Um, all right, well, let's, uh, let's jump into the show and start the way we normally do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by using our hashtag on Twitter, that's DLCSOTW, or by visiting our subreddit, great place. That's uh, 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Cool community, great folks submitting stories and talking about the week's news and our episodes there. And uh, I want to thank everybody that took the time to post on the Reddit. Um, congratulations to me for, for the birth of my son, Jack. Uh, I really appreciate it, guys. It was very kind of you, and it, it makes me feel even better about our community. So thank you. Uh, John, you are our guest. You get first pick of stories. My goodness, it's a... It's a cornucopia, a bounty of stories. This week. So, uh, what, do you, what would you consider your story of the week? Oh, God. Um, well, I think the megaton was probably Mario, right? Let's talk yeah. about Mario. Mario on a non-Nintendo hardware device. My goodness. Uh, the beginning, right at the beginning of the big Apple press conference that was to announce the iPhone 7. Uh, the first thing they show, the, the curtain jerker, the big uh, kickoff piece, Miyamoto comes out on stage and debuts Super Mario Run, which is going to be uh, not iOS exclusive, but first on iOS. So it'll be a timed exclusive, and then eventually it will be coming to other other platforms. But this is a um, single button, single tap kind of controlled game, a uh, in- endless runner, but it's... It looks like Mario. It plays like Mario. Uh, what, do, what do you think of it, John? Are you excited about this? So the press conference started at like 10 o'clock Pacific, right? So uh, a couple of the guys here were running a little bit late. So they, went, they walked into the office sort of 5 past 10 past 10. And they were like, what's, what's Apple done? And I just said, oh, they announced Mario for iPhone. And they, and they both went, yeah, yeah, what are they really announced? And it was like, <laughs> there was just sort of a complete refusal to believe that it was actually a thing. I'm like, no, they just announced Mario for iPhone. And it was sort of like, what? Um, I think it's, I mean, it, it's huge. It's, it's what Iwata had, had been talking about for a while. Um, I honestly thought Mario was being saved until much later. You know, when they'd said, oh, we're working with DNA, we're, we're going to do Fire Emblem and, and Animal Crossing, and then there was the Pokemon thing. And I think Pokemon completely changed everything, the success of it. And not just because Pokemon was a huge game. I think more significant was, I don't know if you tried to buy a copy of Pokemon anything on, on DS or 3DS in, the, in those really crazy weeks. Um, everything sold out. Everything sold out. You walk into a GameStop and they just laugh at you. And you go on Amazon, and you know there were people trying to gouge you for two hundred bucks for a copy of Pokemon X and Y. You know, I mean, it was like, and I think they saw that it's not just about the success of the game on mobile. It's the the halo effect around it that makes people want everything else. And you get Mario right, and you've got billions of people with cell phones playing Mario that are then are going to potentially want more than, I mean, Miyamoto had said 
this is a one button game that you can pl- you can play while eating a hamburger i think was the example that you gave right so it, yeah. i mean it, it's the mechanic is like a runner um does that but, make you excited? Are you? Is that what you want from a Mario game? You on a phone it? game, yeah. I mean, I tend to do, you know, I have a few games that I always go back to, and they tend to be games that I play when I'm doing something else. I think that's sort of the magic of, of games on, on phone. I think, if you know, the fact that it's not trying to be a full Mario is is probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. But I think the whole thing speaks to the fact that, you know, Nintendo and Apple have so much in common in terms of the way they look at us as an audience and that they want to control how we how we buy things the ecosystem you know it's they're very different than google right who are just like enablers whereas apple and nintendo are we want to manage the entire experience for you from beginning to end and i think their mobile games job is to introduce you and and then keep you hooked on something but the real meat is is the stuff on their own device. And they just seem to be waking up to how they can use mobile to supplement rather than replace, you know? It's interesting. Uh, anecdote, uh, I had got a haircut yesterday and I'm sitting in the haircut chair and the, the guy who was giving me my haircut just sort of casually brings up iPhone 7 and he's like, oh my God, you can play Mario on it. And I was like, okay, well that proves that was a big deal. <laughs> you know, like yeah. this haircut dude who doesn't really, he's not really a gamer, but he's into phones. Now he's excited to be able to play Mario on his phone. Uh, Christian, what do you, what do you take from this? Are you excited to play a, a infinite runner Mario game? Yeah. I mean, I think so. There is currently drilling going on. If you hear it, that's what it is. Um, it's not an infinite runner, right? It's a little bit of a misnomer. There are goals, but it is a, you don't con- control the running runner <laughs> like it looked like he hit on stop points so you still have those timing mechanics of getting through the fireballs right and stuff like that where you land on a spot on the ground and you have to tap again to make him run again it looked like from the the video and the hands-on that i kind of read about um i think it's interesting that they went portrait mode instead of landscape for playing this where a lot of mario games you know their character is on the left end of the screen and you're looking down and you can see the hazards coming your way quicker i wonder if this game will how the level design changes for this they certainly have the expertise, right, of knocking out great 2D side-scrolling Nintendo levels. The new Mario games have been great. And I wonder if they're going to mine some of the great uh, uh, Mario... Uh, Mario Maker? Mario Maker, thank you. I mean, they, they literally have millions of levels to ape from <laughs> if they're running out of content. Um, I think it's exciting to see. I don't know... Um, Rivik Star in the chat mentioned the Rayman iOS games. Those games are excellent. Like they've Oh, made- Fiesta Run's phenomenal. Yeah, there have been some really great runner, side-scroller platforming games on iOS. So it's hard for me to separate how I personally use my phone and game on my phone versus mainstream appeal. I think a lot of people will download this game. It's a free download, and I think they said after the first three levels or whatever it is, you have to pay. So I think price point's important, and then I think how many people don't scratch that itch just with the first three levels. I personally... As a, but I would consider myself a big gamer. I do very little gaming on my phone. Or I have a few games on my phone that I tinker with, but most of the time now, if I'm waiting in line or doing whatever I'd be doing, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, checking email, reading NeoGAF, doing something like that, and I don't use my phone as a gaming device. But Pokemon Go and you know all of these um, base building games, microtransaction games, prove that I am in the minority, I think. So I think it'll be a hit, but I'm not sure if it will be... 
landscape changing, if that makes sense. And it's, it's like portrait fu- changing. <laughs> right. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> it will be portrait changing in the grand scheme of things, but it's certainly exciting. And it's one less thing for people to nag Nintendo about. You got to be on You got, they're like, we did it. We did it. Leave us alone. We did it. What about you, I, Jeff? Where are you on I this? I definitely think that John makes a great point about it being a, a gateway drug initiative for them. Uh, I mean, not even gateway drug. Like, you don't need a gateway drug for Mario. Everyone knows Mario. But more like a, uh, a further expansion of the relevance of Mario and the fact that he he is a bigger figure than just one platform or one device. Like, he he's... He's a touchstone for people and a touchstone that brings people to, to Nintendo. I, I immediately, my first reaction to this was, I wonder what this means in terms of support for 3DS and handheld and the fact that we, you know, we, all indications seems to be that the, the NX is going to be a handheld-ish device as well. And where that puts them in terms of how they're supporting their handhelds, like is... Are they phasing out the 3DS? Is the NX going to be that? And then if they continue to have more robust support well, they're not, for mobile. I mean, they're not phasing out the 3DS immediately. Maybe they're fa- starting to. But right. you know, last week we talked about the 3DS Direct that they had. That they announced games coming out, I think, through February 2017 of some fairly large franchises. I'm, maybe they're kind of lettering it wither on the vine. What Bergman and I were kind of hypothesizing about last week is what does that mean for the NXs? eventual launch are they still looking for a march release when they're you know releasing major brands on their current handheld and now you have this you know super mario runner coming out uh, the holiday season it's interesting i think from when they're going to be releasing all of this stuff and how they position it as as unique and if the rumors about it using a mobile chip and you know maybe being able to play pokemon go on the nx will you also be able to download super mario runner on the nx and take it with you um, it's fun to be in a world where Nintendo's exciting, though, right? Yeah, I mean, Nintendo's always exciting. It's just, is it exciting for the right reasons? <laughs> but I I think it's interesting that if you're looking at a holiday season where Nintendo doesn't have any real huge releases, this is their huge release. Like, this could bolster the company for the, for the holiday, which is kind of crazy to think. Um, all right, well, let's move on from that. Christian, what's your, uh, what's your story of the week? Uh, PS4 Pro. The <laughs> I was so excited for September 7th. It was my little brother's birthday. A good friend of mine got some really great news that day. Um, you know, you still had a kid or whatever, which I have met uh, Jack. So Jack is real. It's not just a ploy for Instagram likes. Jeff did not rent a baby. If you did, you rented it long term and for 4 a.m. feedings. Um, it's hard to rent them short term, dude. <laughs> you know, the lease yeah. options are, are few. No, so we did. It was great. We stopped by for like an hour and we rented Jack for, I think Amanda held him for 10 minutes. I didn't hold him at all. And then we left feeling happy. That's perfect, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, the PS, talk about the tale of two press conferences, right? Like the Apple, Apple's great at press conferences. You hate their devices, that's fine. You hate their products, that's fine. Their press conferences are usually pretty great. Sony's E3 press conferences the past few years have been great as well, but coming off the heels of uh, Apple's press conference with Sony's press conference, it felt like the PC conference at E3. It was so boring and low stakes for what arguably are two very big product launches for them, the official unveiling of the PS4 Slim, which had been super leaked, and the unveiling, the official unveiling of the Neo slash 4K slash now we know it's the PS4 Pro, and... I felt very underwhelmed by what it looks like some pretty cool 
tech. I personally don't think I'll be buying one as I don't have a 4K TV and I just bought uh, uh, Oculus Rift and I'm managing my gaming expenses. But I feel like it looked like really cool tech, but I wonder if what they were signaling with their press conference was marketing this thing is going to be hard to message. Like, hey, welcome to Best Buy. What do you want? You're looking for a PS4. Okay, great. We have these two options. What are the differences? Well, what TV do you have? Okay, you got a 4K. Well, this can do 4K. I mean, it's not real. I mean, it's, it is. But anyway, this is the just buy this one. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think most people will maybe buy the Pro. The smartest thing I think they did with the Pro is it comes with a one terabyte drive. So like $100 more for the better, air quote, or no air quote console, the better console, but with double the storage, I think is an easier pill to swallow for people than trying to sit there and, and suss out the differences between the two consoles. It's like, oh, this is the better one? Oh, 100 bucks? Uh, I'll get it. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. You did, you, you compared it to the Apple conference because that had happened right before it. But, I, I, you know, I couldn't help but compare it to the sony press conference from e3 which had a live orchestra and theatricality and we like understood that we were selling this to the masses and now we have a guy standing there kind of mark cerny with his 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 lugubrious voice just sort of putting me to sleep telling me how oh these features are so nice and it's going to look so great i was like wow very interesting take on on revealing the software. And then what they show, I for my money, is is pretty exciting stuff. Like, oh, it's going to make VR better. It's going to make games better in all these different ways. But it's a very odd message of exactly how it's going to work. And we're streaming this, and you're not streaming it in 4K, so you can't really see what's so great about how this looks better. It's an odd position to be in. And then it's like, oh, we got 4K streaming, but not 4K Blu-rays. John, what's your take on the the PlayStation Four Pro announcement? I think it's. I think. I mean, it's it's tough challenge, and I think Microsoft have the same problem ahead of them, right? Which is that they are trying really hard to move away from these discrete six, seven, whatever number of year generations, right? They've got to they've got to get us to a point where it's like phones or it's like PC, where Instead of there being a generation, there is a window of time in which your hardware is valid. The way, you know, right now, I think I think Mario, Mario is a good example, right? Is that Mario run, I don't think will run on an iPhone 4S. You need basically a 5 or beyond for it to run. And I think that's the kind of thing we're going to start seeing where it's like, okay, if you have a PlayStation 4 that was released be- before 2016, then, then this game is not going to work. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a different challenge, and, and I think the fact that um, the PlayStation Slim looks like a really thin sandwich, and the PlayStation Pro looks like a club sandwich that's fallen over, and apart from that, they look identical, like is a problem. They're just boring black boxes. Yeah, the Pro doesn't look more expensive, more. Pro, you know, I mean, I think they, I think they have a, they have a, just an object problem, which is that I can't tell by looking at it why it's a hundred dollars more. I think the point about the hard drive is really well taken. Um, 4K, I think. I mean, I, I've heard some people say that they think 4K is the next 3D TV thing, and do you really need it? I think ultimately, it 
TVs are going to be 4K, right? Resolutions always go up. I think it's a fairly safe bet that we're all going to have very high resolution screens and that that's the direction for it. I just think it's a tough sell to explain to someone why you why you need to drop the extra money on this. And I think, you know, it's on Microsoft now with Scorpio next year, which is presumably a year later. They have a lot of pressure on them now to be like, okay, now here's ours. Um, and this is what another year of tech gets you on top, you know? And I think, you know, what, we, what we're seeing now as well is we have an Apple-Samsung situation in consoles where, you know, they're escalating on the numbers and the capabilities. And it's like, you know, when, when Samsung started changing the numbers on the Samsung phones so that, the, you know, they could get the 7 out before the iPhone 7. And we, I think we, you've got the Xbox One S, which is, you know, on it, it, to, to anyone that doesn't really understand what's going on, the difference between Xbox One S and a PlayStation Pro is probably not that much, right? Right. <laughs> um, and I don't think Sony did a very – Sony are really boring when they trot stuff out. Like they, they just – I don't know. It's like they still do that sort of – you know, it's like going to a lecture. Yeah. And – the, the the lack of showmanship and and again 4K is a tough thing to demonstrate in anything except when you're standing in front of a really great TV and when it's like you know it looks awesome believe me is 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 a tough sell yeah it's strange they had so much showmanship at E3 and then here it's like oh yeah we used it all up <laughs> sorry we don't have any, <laughs> any more room uh, I you know I think a lot of this comes down to Sony also wants to sell televisions and it would be nice if people bought shiny new televisions and here's a way to motivate that from a different yeah. department i think that's kind of cool sorry what are you gonna no. say? Go I, I, I just feel like why not wait a year and drop the five or i mean i'm, I'm wondering if what they're trying to do is move to dropping numbers altogether from playstation you know yeah. playstation now is available on pc so you can rent um uh, PS3 games, basically. They have that service. They didn't include the 4K Blu-ray drive in the PS4 Pro. And I wonder if the next step is no drive at all. It's just you yeah. want this content. It's digital only. Once you get to a digital only marketplace, it's easier to carry over past games. I know we haven't seen that in the past with Xbox Live and PlayStation Store and stuff. But I wonder if that's kind of what they're going to. And this is their first step in that direction. Because otherwise, I think it's a really hard sell, especially because it's not even just if you have a 4K TV, how much better does it look? It, you know, they showed the example of, and they talked very little about this, but there was some talk about, well, even on a 1080p screen, it's going to look better because developers can add this. And they think they showed, oh, God, what game was it? They did, a, was it The Witcher? I don't remember what game it was, but they did yeah. like a screen wipe, and it was like you could see more grass in the foreground kind of thing. And it looked it looked better, but it didn't look destiny on ps3 versus destiny on ps4 better and now but we're never going to get that again that that those days are gone we're, yeah. we're now into incremental better uh, at this point it's it's there's not going to be that like oh my god playstation 1 to playstation 2 or playstation 2 to playstation 3 type of leap we, we've gotten to a point now where the leap is going to be a little harder to discern it's not going to be so obvious and the, the thing that's strange to me about all that, i don't think you're right there Go ahead. Though. Really? Yeah. I think the I leap know. between PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4 was big. Our problem wasn't the leap. Our problem was our memory. You know, when I played Gears of One remastered on Xbox One, my mind was like, this is how Gears looked. And then you play original Gears of War on Xbox 360, and you're like, this is garbage. Oh, my God. I can't believe I thought it looked like this. And, like, you play Destiny, and you're like, this looks like it's clearly a cross-gen game. 
and then fire it up on 360 or PS3, and you're like, I would look like I'm playing it through soup. Um, and then you see some of the game or Grand Theft Auto Five. Holy crap! Look at the differences between those. It's it's mind blowing. You're not getting the same type of jump in terms of going from 2D to 3D. You know, uh, like a side scroller to poly polygonal worlds that are now fully developed in the same way. But look at the rendering of some of the characters in Halo Five versus even Halo Four, which looked excellent. Like you're still getting that jump, and I think we'll continue to see it. But, you know, if we're in a world of these micro-releases, then it makes it harder to discern those jumps. But I think we can still I think we can still be there. I think this isn't going to be the jump, PS4 Pro and Scorpio, because they're committing to games running across all systems. So I think yeah. then it's a harder sell to say $400 for 10 more flowers in the foreground and hair physics. But I don't know if that's worth it. Well, yeah. I think one of the smartest things Microsoft could do is actually make Scorpio a new platform. Say, yeah, it's completely backwards compatible, but stuff going forward, we're going to take full advantage of Scorpio and we're just, it's the next Xbox. I, I think because if they're touting, oh, we got six teraflops and they only have 4.5 teraflops and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> it, all of that doesn't matter. Like, show me the games that can take full advantage of it. And the thing that's so strange to me is how Sony is like, well, it can maybe be 4K or or d developers can decide to make it 60 frames per second at 1080p or or they can decide to like add extra graphical flourishes or or maybe they want to you know double the resolution it's it's like we we don't really care how they use this extra power as long as it's not to actually make the game better <laughs> you know it's as long as it doesn't actually not work on the original PlayStation 4 but they can use it however they want and that makes a very muddy message to the and consumer there's something i think there's something else going on as well which is is more about the backwards thing than the forwards thing and so there was something really telling on i think it was friday last week where they they made some comment that they weren't thinking about a console war anymore, and that they were they were basically selling the pro against PC. And I think it was it was a not yeah. great. It wasn't a terribly well crafted message the way that it came across. But I, I think I get what they were they were getting at, and this is where Microsoft is going as well, which is they need to get these platforms away fully away from this notion that they are bespoke custom environments walled gardens whatever you want to call them and the brands are going to start me you know I, th I agree with you christian i think i think the numbers are going to go and playstation is sony's games brand and xbox is microsoft's games brand and wherever you encounter those words you know that it's games i think if you look at games now and then you look at games 10 years ago in terms of what the experiences that they offer fundamentally they have a lot in common now and i think that that's proof that it's maturing as a medium in the it used to be that the the quality and richness of the experience had a lot to do with the hardware right it was like the hardware can deliver this much stuff and the games are getting deeper and more awesome because the hardware is allowing us to do that now it's just they look a bit prettier but if you look at a game from 10 years ago you look at you know the last gta or you look at bully or you look at red dead or you look at you know certainly anything in the last 10 years if it was released today tarted up a little bit, it would hold its own as an experience. You go back 20 years and it's and it's harder. But 10 years, 10 years ago, games were about as awesome as they are now. And I think what Sony and Microsoft is looking at is that you should be able to just go to some storefront, whatever that is, and just pick a game the way you can pick a movie. And, you know, an old movie 
is maybe not high def or maybe it's in black and white, but it runs on everything, right? And I think that's the ultimate goal for games. It's like, I need to go to the Xbox store or the PlayStation store. I need to be able to click on Bully and it runs, or I need to be able to click on GTA 4 and it runs. And, and, it, and it just feels like a contemporary experience. And if the hardware can make it upscale it and make it a, look, a little prettier and, con- and contemporary along the way, then that's a benefit. But I think that's where both Sony and Microsoft are playing now. It's that they've got to stop focusing on these individual generations of games and look at the entire body of work and allow you to play them. Yeah. You know, I think you're absolutely right. And, and I, I'm very excited about the idea of them releasing patches for older games to make them look a little prettier on this new hardware. I mean, they showed, even at the press conference, they showed some games that have been out for a while that they say are going to have these updated patches. I think that's cool. I think that's really neat. It's a way to add vibrance to games that that maybe people aren't talking about so much anymore but deserve to be played. Um, I just don't know. As Christian referenced in talking about the sort of Best Buy experience, I don't know how you tell people about this. You know, how you say... It's better, and not a very specific way that it's better. It's just it's better than the PlayStation Four now, but there's no there's nothing you can actually point to and say, look, look how much better it is. I mean, I, I guess I'm excited about it. I'm excited. I want, you know, I want my games to look as good as they can. And the idea that this is going to look as good as a PC version of a game, I think, is pretty neat. And I have a 4K TV, so I'm excited about that. But I also feel like it's it's strangely positioned and I think is ultimately pretty confusing, but that's kind of why the slim exists, right? Because, Hey, this less expensive version is also available. So if you don't need to have this 4k version, we still have you covered. So I don't necessarily know that it's a big problem. It just feels like a little problem. (laughs) How will you, so when people, I mean, all of us get this, right? When people come to us, uh, oh, I need to, we need to get a game console. We've not had one for years. We're going to go buy one. And invariably these days, I think the default answer is, oh, buy a PS4. Um, Now, what do you tell them? Yeah. I mean, what television do you have? Do you care about VR? Are you going to, are you planning to get PlayStation VR? I mean, I think if you're going to get PlayStation VR, you should get this one. Uh, I think if you have a 4k TV or plan to get one in the next, year or two this is the console to get uh if a hundred dollars more for a console isn't a big deal for you then this is the one you should get and you know, you've been talking for 10 minutes i mean i'm exaggerating yeah. but you know what it's no, like it's true it's here's it's this logic chart <laughs> I, I don't know i don't know it's gonna be interesting to see how this thing sells um and i do think that not having 4k blu-ray is a missed opportunity but i also think that physical formats are waning and i don't think it's going to be a big deal in five years but is this thing going to be used in five years so i don't remember the last time i stuck a movie disc into the disc hole on either of my consoles well you're describing words that i use for a different meaning so i use mine (laughs) a lot (laughs) um i you know i don't know if this is exactly my story of the week but it may very well be oh wait Uh, can i chime in real quick with mark for marketing Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Mark Mark is on the line. We got Mark. Yeah, there's marketing? construction outside my office, too, you guys. Uh, Christian and I actually share an office. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, here's the deal, Sony. Here's what you got to do. This is free consulting for you. Uh, don't release the PS4 Slim too late. You already announced it. Sorry. 
No PS4 Slim. Release a PS4 Pro for 350 Take a little bit of a loss on it. It's the upgraded console. You'll get people that already have one that are a little angry, but they can't be that mad because they're releasing the same thing. And everyone that's going to be buying the console now is going to be getting the best one. And Sony can walk around talking about how they have the most powerful console on the market. You don't have brand dilution with having two things and people don't know which one to buy the way. Get rid of that PS4 Slim. Cool. Thanks. Bye. You think Mark didn't want the Slim? I think Mark likes the Slim. I think Mark can market the Slim as a, the inexpensive uh, jumping on point for anybody I mean, that's You can be waiting. Jeff from Jarketing if you want, but I know what Mark <laughs> wants. <laughs> All right, clearly. Um, I, like I said, I don't know if this is my, my story of the week. It may very well be, though. Uh, a subset, a sub-story sub of the PS4 Pro announcement is that's the place where we first got to see gameplay footage of Mass Effect Andromeda, guys. Uh, we saw a brief but significant uh, bit of footage of uh, Andromeda working on the PlayStation Pro hardware, we assume, or at least what it'll uh, look like on that hardware. Um, and I know that I have never been a huge Mass Effect fan, but I will say that if we didn't know this was called Mass Effect, I think people wouldn't be very excited about this thing. I don't think the... Obviously, they're keeping a lot of of that game close to the vest and didn't want to show, you know, significant things for the gameplay. But what they did show, if you didn't know it was called Mass Effect, you'd be like, this game looks dumb, right? I think it's right? the ongoing problem with Mass Effect's identity crisis that it's having right now. It's weird. At E3, we interviewed some of the guys and um, they slipped and described it as a third-person shooter. Oh really? And then corrected themselves. Wait, oh no, 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 no! Where can people it's find that play. interview, John? Huh? Where can that people would, find that? Would be a Glixel interview that is also. If you go to rollingstone.com/slash/glixel and look for Mass Effect, it's in there. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, they were talking about you know, I mean the you know, I mean they're wrestling with some big challenges, right? Which is that you have a complete story and you've kind of topped and tailed it and 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 you've had your hero's journey and now you've got to do another one. So they had the challenge of like taking it somewhere else. But along the way, I think Mass Effect's identity as a sci-fi RPG versus a sci-fi action game and the story that it's trying, I think it's all getting a little mixed up right now. And, and I think you're right, Jeff. I think that, you know, it was more purple than the last Mass Effect, <laughs> right? I mean, Mass yeah. Effect Purple Edition. Um but it didn't – I don't know. I think one of the things that makes Bioware games magical is um, are the indefinable things, and it's not necessarily the action moment. There was a good story on The Guardian today about how you know romance is a really important part of Mass Effect, but there's a reluctance to to lean into that when describing the game because it's it's a tough sell. Yeah. Yeah, the, the kids aren't lining up for the romance game. Um, but – I also don't think the kids are lining up for the like jetpack between p- pillars and look at a thing. I don't know. It, it didn't look pretty exciting to me, but I also feel like they were just showing, hey, it works. Look, it works. We're not going to actually show you anything. It's As soon as the cutscene starts, we're going to leave it. Uh, so I understand that they weren't showing the exciting stuff, but I also feel like that's an odd thing to show. Why show that? Um, but what do you think, Christian? <sighs> It's hard for me to get excited about a franchise where I've only liked one of the games in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which one did you like? I, I really, really, really liked Mass Effect 1. I did not finish it. I started Mass Effect 2 having not finished 1 and was like, this is cool. Nope, don't have time for it. And then I never even bothered playing 3. Um, 
just my personal franchise pile of shame, right? Um, like one got me hooked and I think it was the mining that got me unhooked. I was like, this is great. Oh, I need to grind for a little bit to keep advancing this thing. And I kind of fell off. And then two is apparently um, better and more focused by, I think, general opinion. So I fired that up and then I got a little bit in, but I wasn't invested in the world. So I was like, it was easy for me to move on from it. Um, I think it's cool that they showed something. I agree with you, Jeff, that what they showed doesn't scream Mass Effect. But I, I, I also agree with John. I don't know what Mass Effect is. If you were to you know, put the bullet points on the back of the box or describe it via log line, it's a choose-your-own-adventure space opera, I guess. But that sounds more like a Telltale game than, than uh, a, a, a space shooty game. So it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Lots of other news this week as well. I mean, we had uh, sales high mark for WoW Legion. It's back to the heyday of, of World of Warcraft, 3.3 million copies, which matches the mark that Cataclysm sold. So this 10-year-old game is back selling amazingly. We got a Pokemon Go announced for iWatch. We have another delay for Last Guardian, which hopefully this is the last time. Um, and uh, a story that was submitted by listeners, we have no mods for Fallout 4 or Skyrim for PlayStation 4, even though they were promised. Uh, and evidently that's Sony's fault. So I don't have time to hit all these stories, but John, are there any of them that stick out to you as something you want to comment on? I think the mods one is significant because it's directly, the reasoning for it is totally at odds with something else Sony said last week, right? So they said PS4 Pro is our thing that you should be comparing to the PC. And it's also where Microsoft's playing and that they're saying Xbox and Windows are the same thing. And their attitude to everything is, okay, we have the platform that you play the games on, the game environment, that's on the people that made the game. And what Sony is saying with this mods thing is, we want to make sure that we can control what's going into the game. We don't trust Bethesda enough to police that stuff because it's ceding too much to control to the audience. And like that's a fundamental um, like difference of opinion over what makes the PC market so special yeah. and why they are mistaken to do that i think you know and i think i mean you know i mean fair play to bethesda for eventually just being like you know what we tried they just kept shutting it down and it, it just comes down to control and i and i get that that's this is where sony and nintendo have a lot in common right is that they they want to make sure that they are responsible for what the game serves up in front of you because they own the platform and that's not how pc games work it's and it's I don't know, and something's got to budge, or or that they're never going to push into that thinking about it like PC stuff. Right. Yeah, it's strange, and it, and it it I guess it's a you know they want to protect the end users, they want to make sure that nothing's going to break their system, they want to you know, and, and all that's positive. Especially Sony has been through weird hacking situations and problems with their infrastructure um, because you know people were able to do things that they couldn't oversee. I understand the nervousness about having mods and just sort of letting the floodgates open on a certain thing, but it is a bummer. It is a bummer, especially because they promised it and uh, it, it's available on other platforms. And it, it, as you said, it's what makes these games special. And it's not like it was going to be a free for all anyway. I mean, like, I mean, I get if it was, look, 
you know, first thing anyone does in anything where you can mod something is that they make it, is that, you know, you get dicks everywhere, right? And dicks and swearing everywhere and boobs. And, and I, I get the paranoia about that, but that's not what Bethesda were going to do with, with mods on these things, right? My understanding is that it is a um, curated cut of the mods getting right. sucked over. So it's like they're pre-screened by their partner Bethesda. So I, I think that it's 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 a it's a it's a more of a it's it's a bigger problem than than it appears because it's also a problem in terms of how they view the partners that are making the game experiences as well as at their lack of trust in the audience's ability to not draw dicks on everything. <laughs> right. Well, you know, in that case, I kind of agree. But yes, uh, Christian, any any comment on any of these quick hit stories? No, I just hope Last Guardian is good. I mean, from a, a creator that made two of my favorite games of the last generation, um, two generations ago, I guess now. I, I hope it's good, but I fear for Dumpster Fire. Uh, it's... Uh, I really hope I'm glad this game comes out, if that makes sense. Because it's easy for me to always want Half-Life 3. That's easier than it is to play a disappointing Half-Life 3, you know? So yeah. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. No, I'm not even optimistic. I'm fingers crossed, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. They're pushing it right up to the limit for being able to come out before a holiday. December 6th is the new release date for Last Guardian. And uh, yeah, we just want the game to be good, everybody. Just want the game to be good. Hopefully that's the last delay. All right, guys, let's uh, let's transition now into a little uh, playlist. Before that, we do need to take a second and thank our sponsor, Casper. Has there ever been a more appropriate sponsor? For an episode of this show, uh, me coming off the birth of my son, Jack, uh, sleep. Boy, do I appreciate it. Never before have I more appreciated the idea of a sound night's sleep than on this week. Uh, I, my goodness, I can't even imagine the, the, the few hours that I've managed to put my head down to sleep. I can't imagine doing it on an uncomfortable mattress. How many of you out there are wasting your time, wasting the precious hours that you have as people without children or with or even with children if you have them? You don't do you not appreciate what you have? Are you sleeping on a mattress that doesn't give you the best possible situation? What are you doing? Casper is here to help. Don't use those precious hours of delicious sleep wasting them on a mattress that isn't giving you comfort, that isn't giving you nice Zs. You want the nice Zs. Casper is going to help you out, is going to give you a very comfortable experience, and it's going to do it for a fraction of the cost. This is the way to buy mattresses. Don't go to the store anymore. Don't go to the mall on President's Day and lay on a mattress in the in a big warehouse with a salesperson hovering over you for five minutes and then decide whether or not you want this mattress and then get home and be disappointed and spent thousands of dollars on a mattress. No, 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 no. Upgrade yourself the easy way with Casper, which is an online mattress store that lets you spend 100 nights on your mattress before you have to decide whether or not you're going to keep it. You get a 100-night home trial 
If you don't end up liking it at any point during that 100 nights, just let them know. They come. They take it away for you. They give you your money back. This is no risk. And it's all going to be much less expensive than the thousands of dollars you usually get on a mattress. We're talking $500 for a twin, uh, $750 for a full, $850 for a queen. These are well below the industry standard of you know $1,500, $2,000, $3,000 for mattresses. $950 for a king is, is what you get at Casper. This is Get a bigger mattress if you have the room. My goodness, luxuriate. Plus, we're going to give you a discount. We're going to get you 50 bucks off your mattress purchase. All you got to do is go to casper.com slash DLC. That's C-A-S-P-E-R.com slash DLC. Use the promo code DLC at checkout. We'll give you 50 bucks off, which is great. It'll show that they supporting us is, is awesome. And you know what? It'll make me feel good because at least somebody is sleeping well. Oh, please upgrade your sleep. Don't take it for granted for my sake, please. Sleep. I wish I could sleep. John, you have some interesting stuff on your playlist this week. Uh, what have you been playing? So I, well, for the last couple of weekends, I was playing. I was playing the Battlefield One, and then before that, the Titanfall Two tests, mm-hmm. which I was big fans of. I'm a big Titanfall fan. Uh, but then between um, between everything else, I keep going back to Dishonored. Um, I, I saw Dishonored 2 at E3 and thought it looked amazing and, and realized that I, I don't think I actually beat the original Dishonored. I think I got a long way through it. So I went, I bought the, whatever the remastered edition, definitive edition is called and started playing from the beginning. And, and the experience that I'm having is very different than the one that I remember for some reason. So I was either, I think I might've been playing it wrong the first time or no, it just, that, was, that was before you were playing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm just, I mean, it's such a, it's just a gorgeous game. I've been bouncing between that and Deus Ex and really not enjoying Deus Ex at all. So, um, new Deus so, Ex or new OG? Deus Ex. Okay. Um, so I just keep, I keep ending up in Dishonored. So that's that. So Dishonored is sort of my go-to when I'm sat down on the couch sort of waiting for this year's big games to hit, like, um, you know, like, I mean, as soon as Titanfall hits, I'm going to be lost in it. And then my, um, my, my little sort of mobile I can't stop playing it thing is um, the Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes game on iPhone. So many people play that game. It's crazy to me how many of my friends are playing that. Like, if you sit down and analyze it and look at it objectively, there is absolutely no reason why I should be playing it. Like, <laughs> I, it, 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 like, my wife was watching me play it over the weekend. And what I do is I'll set up... So, I, for people that aren't familiar with it, I mean, it's, it's basically a very grindy sort of MMO where you are... It's basically just turn-based team combat and you're collecting heroes from the star wars universe and leveling them up and adding stuff to them and it's and it, it's just all grind and the combat you can get to a point where you've optimized your team where you could just tell the game to play it for you so my wife was laughing at me because i was like you know i was setting things up and then i was just hitting the auto button and putting my phone down and going and doing something else and <laughs> and winning a war uh, and, and she's like, how is that fun? And it's like, because it's the, it's, it's the accumulation of things and the leveling up and the grind and, and it's Star Wars and, you know, and then it, and it's always doing events and challenges. Like there's a Yoda challenge, there's a rebel challenge, there's a Star Wars Rogue One challenge and you do this and you can unlock this character. And I check it every day religiously. 
Like, and it's, and I, it, and I, every now and then I sort of take stock and analyze why I'm doing it. And I don't really know. <laughs> uh, well, you know, there's a lot of games like that in, in, in a strange way, but uh, hey, you, you can't, you can't say you're not having fun. And Star Wars is Star Wars, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to uh, dig a little deeper, though, in your Dishonored comments, because I guess I never really put it together, but it, it, it does seem like Dishonored has a lot of the classic deus ex DNA. There. Yes. That sort of uh, lots of different ways to solve a problem, uh, sort of improvisational systems where you, you, know, you're, you are being creative in ways uh, using the game systems, stealth as an empowering aspect and crafting your character the way you want him to be. Uh, I've never really made that comparison, but it, it, it seems apt. I'm curious what about the new Deus Ex isn't jiving with you. I I just find it really, and I think it's maybe because I played Dishonored before it. Um, Dishonored always feels very free and like you, the, the choice is really apparent through the way it feeds back to you, right? Is that you always feel, oh, I can go over here and do this, I can go over here and do this. Deus Ex to me always feels like it spends all of its try- time trying to shut the doors around you as opposed to, and, and then you opening one of them as opposed to giving you an environment and, and letting you loosen it to go and do stuff. I just find it, it's like really punitive and like you die more than I'm comfortable with in a game. You know, I just find there's a lot of systems in it that feel very old school and, and it just annoys me where I'll be like, okay, well, I didn't know that was going to happen and I'm waiting the minute for you to reload. Great. You know, and uh, I don't know. And then, you know, I'll go play Dishonored and it's like, okay, if I go over here and I try this thing and this thing opens and the guy walks by and I don't know, it just feels, Dishonored feels like a much more contemporary game to me than than Mankind Divided is, which it feels like an old PC game. Yeah. I, I mean, I, there's part of me that likes that about it, but I definitely see your point in the sense that Dishonored kind of reinforces what's fun about those things, and Mankind Divided kind of forces you to be in a box and says, okay, I'm going to put all these restrictions on you so that later on when those restrictions are off, it feels more fun or it feels like you've accomplished something. Yeah. Whereas a game like Dishonored is like, well, there's there's more stuff to be had, but the stuff now is is already fun. You know, it's not that like, hey, kill some rats before you kill the cool stuff. It's like you're always doing cool stuff and, and you get just to do cooler stuff. Um, and I think that's kind of how games, as you said, how games have evolved in the last you know 10 to 15 years. They don't feel so restrictive at first. I want to like Deus Ex more than I do. Yeah. You know, I think that's that's always a weird experience to go through where you feel like you're you're cutting a game some slack as you're playing it. It doesn't happen very often, but but Deus Ex is definitely one of those games where it's sort of like, oh God, I wish you were better than you are. Yeah. Yeah. How have you been digging it? We haven't really circled back on your playtime of it, Jeff. Do you like it more than John? Or are you kind of falling into that same? I've also read that it has some weird... Um, analogies of the way it tackles like race relations in the game and maybe is heavy handed and or wrong, uh, wrong headed in how it does it, but I have not touched the game. Well, it really wants to be uh, speaking to those points uh, in a, in a interesting way. And it is, it's, it is speaking to those points, but it's doing it in a very blunt way in a very um, not very sophisticated way. Uh, it's like, Oh, you know, the, the, they're refugees uh, of uh, android descent or whatever they're, you know, the, the part human, part robot. And it's, 
it's very on the nose is what I mean to say. Um, I haven't been playing it because there's a game called World of Warcraft that came out. <laughs> and a, and uh, a person named Jack that came out. And a person named Jack that came out. But um, even with Jack, I have found a lot of time to play WoW. Uh, I level capped this week uh, to 110. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and um, my goodness, my goodness, this game is so good. It is the best expansion they have ever done. Wow. Not, not, it's not close. It's not close. Is it, it built on the other, the quality of the other expansions though? Because there have been some misses, but some big hits too. Like, Oh, the- sure. Yeah, no, I, the, it is. It is sort of a thesis paper on everything they've learned in 10 years. It's like you can see threads of their success here in, in previous expansions and how they tried things and did stuff and reinforced things. And, you know, it's not perfect. There's still ways in which the game can still have improvements. But everything that you do in the game is so refined. It is so iterated upon and it, they have found the way to squeeze so much out of this engine and and give you so many interesting things to do in the context of this world. And I don't think there's ever been an expansion for World of Warcraft that has done a better job in telling me a story. Huh. I will I will clear I will cop to the fact I've been playing this game since the since Vanilla WoW. I have you know level capped several characters throughout the years. I am that guy that rarely reads the quests i get i click it i go to the place i kill the 10 things i'm done i turn it in i move forward i like seeing the world i like doing the stuff i like the combat i like all that i almost never have paid much attention to the details right because it's like it doesn't matter it's gonna be this quest i'm done i'll do 10 more who cares let's move on i don't need to read a block of text in the in the in the quest thing to understand what i need to do let me just move forward but they do such an excellent job in Legion of crafting a narrative that I am so invested in the world more than I ever have before. Invested in the story, invested in the characters. I think a lot of it, honestly, well, not a lot of it, but a, a not insignificant portion is because I've been playing so much Heroes of the Storm. And now I know these characters, like the, the big main characters from World of Warcraft are in Heroes of the Storm. And so when Malfurion shows up or Illidan shows up or Tyrande shows up, I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a, a connection point with that character. I, I've been playing that character in Heroes of the Storm. I know how they work. Oh my gosh, they work the same way in this game because this is the game they came from. And they have personality and the same voice actor. And I have I have intimate knowledge of how they work as a character because I've been playing them for hours in this other context. There's a, there's a great quest in Legion where you actually take control of Murky, who's a Murloc uh, that's in Heroes of the Storm. And his move set in World of Warcraft, as you control him, is the exact move set from Heroes of the Storm. Exactly, one-to-one. And it's magical because like, oh my gosh, I'm playing the same character in a different game and... It it works, uh, you know. It's analogous how it works. It's not the same engine at all, but well, it's a different it, version of that feedback loop that you know John was talking about with Mario and iOS, where you're instead of putting characters on different devices and getting it to new people, you're it's the same device, it's the PC, but you're putting it in different game type universes. But then when you're able to have that seamless one to one control and you're creating that connection, it's all of the things that I feel like that people of our age 
you know, looked for in terms of like you would find the Wolverine t-shirt at the comic book shop or whatever. And you'd be like, this is the thing that defines who I am. I spend so much time with this character and I get to wear this character. And now they've done like these brands have grown up and it's not just selling us merchandise. It's selling us other games with that same character in it that where you are that person's family, you know, like it or not, you know, that person inside and outside and you get to spend more time with them. That's awesome. It's great, but, but the game itself also does such a wonderful job of pushing the narrative forward. Everything is so focused on this big conflict of the Legion invading Azeroth, and each of the zones in the Broken Isles leads up to getting an item that's going to help in that battle, and everything is is built around giving you information around that progress. And it it's so effective and so well executed and how the new areas are are designed and and even with the unprecedented level of freedom that you have in the world to sort of do quests in any order and do zones in any order now it still all seems very laser focused on pushing you toward a goal you have to you know get friendly with these factions to move this bit of the story forward and you have to get certain things to do something else at the end of the game and and then now now at level cap um, a whole nother experience opens up. And with this WoW Legion app that they've released, which by the way, ever since smartphones, I was like, man, there needs to be a World of Warcraft app. I know that there was the Armory app, but that who cares? I wanted to be able to sort of impact my game world you know, when I wasn't around it. And they found out a way to make that happen. This, this app is so interesting. It allows you to send your, your little followers that you have at your class hall which works kind of like the garrisons did in the last expansion, but but uh, is slightly different in that it's built around your class rather than your personal garrison. Uh, anyway, you can deploy them on missions from your phone, so you can actually get things and do things and manage stuff that would take a login in previous versions. You don't have to log in. You can just do it from your phone. And also, now at level cap, after you do a certain number of quests these world events open up where different parts of the Broken Isles are having big events that you you and other players can just go to and participate in and do big quests there and get cool rewards. And so the app tells you, and these things go live and and um, rotate through uh, based on you know real time. So it's like this event will be up for two days and this event will be up for one day or whatever. So you pull up the app. It shows you what event is happening in what part of the world and what the reward is. So you go, oh my gosh, there's some really amazing level, eye level 810 shoulders dropping in this part of, of the Broken Isles. I better log on and get that, get, get over there before that quest is oh, rotated out. That is yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, the, the game, the, the mechanics of the game are solid. They've reworked all of the classes. I'm playing a, a discipline priest and it's really fun uh, the the dungeons are so dynamic and interesting and all of them are the result of the quest chain in that uh in that area so you're you're finding out about the bad guy that's been you know tormenting the area and then you go into the dungeon at the end and you beat that bad guy like that it's all leading up to that moment and everything feels cohesive and there's not nothing is like oh i'm just doing this weird quest for no reason they they've updated the professions so you know like herb gathering and crafting and you know leather working and mining and all that stuff that 
is cool, a lot of people like, but has been undeniably tedious over the years in the sense that you're running around the world and you're mining nodes and you're, you know, getting things and it's, it's a lot of rinse, repeat. They've completely revamped that. And now all of that is quest based. So instead of just mining stuff and getting enough uh, materials to build the next thing and try to let, you know, make a number go up and say, Oh, I'm now I'm 12 in mining and I want to be 20, you know, so I got to do more mining in order to level up my mining. Uh, you're actually doing quests that have stories that send you to different places. And you're, it's so, all of the game is like that now. It's all like you're playing a great tabletop role-playing game. All of it is story-based. All of it is giving you reasons to do things. It's not anymore just pushing forward, clicking things and moving on. And I think that they've managed to pull that off in a really spectacular way. So uh, I, I'm in love with Legion. Also, um, I had another experience this week that I want to mention to you guys because you're both fathers. I uh, my my son Jack is a week old today, and uh, I have tried to let my wife have some sleep by taking the night shift. and And uh, little Jack likes to sleep on my lap or in my arms. And uh, if I hold him, he stays asleep and my wife can can sleep a little bit. John mentioned earlier seeing me on at three o'clock in the morning. So I stay like up, you know, till three or four in the morning and let my wife sleep a little bit until Jack needs to be fed again. I had that thing where, you know, that the like movie of the week moment where the heroin addict like has a kid and he's got his kid in his arms and he still does heroin and he feels terrible about it. But the, and it, like the camera zooms in and he's got the needle in his arm and he looks down at the kid and he realizes he's hit rock bottom. That was me with little Jack on my lap playing Heroes of the Storm. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I just need a hit. I just need, I haven't played Heroes of the Storm in like four days. I just need a hit. Jack, just stay, just stay asleep. I can't pause this game. So just stay quiet and just hang out on my lap. Daddy needs, daddy needs his heroes of the storm. And, and I realized that I could play the game as, as Jack slapped in my lap and try to hit my keys quietly. And I still, I got a couple of wins guys, but well I, done. I feel like I hit rock bottom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's early days yet, Jeff. There's, there's lots more that you can. <laughs> Boys to screw up. Is that's, not, that's not rock bottom, buddy. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, Christian, you got some stuff on your playlist? Some things I wanted to just hit quickly. I feel like I found myself in a week of, um, you know, the next big thing isn't out yet, even though the Forza Horizon 3 demo is burning a hole in my Xbox One right now. I played for maybe two minutes before we started the show, so <laughs> I will be playing more of that for sure this week. Um, but I went back to Rise of the Tomb Raider, and I replayed – oh, so back up further – I wanted to start thinking about my favorites of the year because I had a week here without anything that I feel like I needed to play. And so I wanted to start doing that mental exercise because I think this has been a great year for gaming and I didn't want to leave it till the end or till, you know, Battlefield, Call of Duty, Last Guardian, you know, this rush of holiday games come out that I needed, that not need, but I want to experience for fun and also game of the year consideration stuff. So I had this week, and what I did first is I replayed, I think it was the last two levels, calling them levels is a, is a misnomer a little bit, of Rise of the Tomb Raider. And because I wanted to play that again to help my thoughts on Uncharted 4. Because Uncharted 4 I loved, and if you go back, I have like my whole playthrough of it archived still on my YouTube, which is just Christian Spicer 713 And I played it on Twitch, 
And I love, love, love that game. But the last level or two, second to last level, I think it was like chapter 21, really soured me on a lot of the experience. It was by far the most combat-heavy moment of Uncharted 4, and it felt not necessary from a narrative standpoint and not necessary from a fun standpoint. It just felt kind of cobbled together, and it really hurt my experience of the game. So I wanted to remember Rise of the Tomb Raider, people don't remember or haven't heard it was our 2015 game of the year for this show you and i we came together as that uh, opinion on it so i wanted to replay that because i remember that game went combat heavy at the end as well but i didn't remember it angering me as much so i replayed those final two encounters and i'll be vague in case you haven't played it because i know it's new to pc and coming to ps4 but it does it gets combat heavy in a way that you know that that genre of game often does And I think the reason it didn't bother me as much as Uncharted 4 is that it did it in the traditional approach. And when I say traditional, I mean uh, the other Tomb Raider, (laughs) other Tomb Raiders, Uncharted 1, 2, and 3. And I won't say more than that, but I think if you've played those games, you know what I'm talking about. And And it did it in that way that was, so I expected it, and I rolled my eyes at it, and I pushed through. And then I got a nice little conclusion to this story. And I was like, well, that's how these games end. <laughs> and then Uncharted 4, it doesn't do that in the same way. And I feel like I'm almost, I'm, I started holding it against the game more in Uncharted 4 because it did something different, but still put me through my combat paces. And so I'm, I'm struggling mentally with how that affects my enjoyment of that game. Don't get me wrong. Uncharted 4 is I, certainly in my top five. But go ahead, Jeff. I'm, I'm shocked to hear you say anything negative about uncharted four first of all (laughs) but second of all um i I think a lot of the mitigation of that is the role-playing layer of of uh rise of the tomb raider and i can't speak um where you know you're actually getting skills later in the game that make you feel op like that those last few fights i had like triple headshot with the bow and arrow and I could pop out of stealth and like hit three dudes with barely even trying. Yeah. I had and incendiary I, shotgun shells. <laughs> yeah. It's a, I mean, amazing stuff that there's not really anything analogous to that in uncharted. You, you know, you're not, you're getting cooler weapons like at the end, I guess, but you're not, there's no, uh, you know, leveling up of skills in uncharted that make you, you know, handle the combat in a different way. No, there was just, I think it was chapter 21 that I wished I played the game on easy. Again, I still really love the game. I think there's a very good chance it ends up as my favorite, but I wanted, I, that's why I replayed the end of Rise of the Tomb Raider. If you haven't played it, I stand by that it is an excellent game. My youngest is losing her mind right now, if you hear that. Um, <laughs> uh, then the other thing I did for the same reason, Ratchet and Clank on PS4, I really loved that game, and I kind of just moved away from it for whatever reason. And I'm like, if this game is in my top five, and I think there's a good chance it could be, it might end up at like six or seven, or I don't know. But it's a phenomenal game, and I feel like I need to beat this game to have heap so much praise on it. And I'm, I had kind of moved away from it being about halfway done, and I went back to it this week, and I still, I love that game. It is so well made, and if you have avoided it because it's a remake or whatever, one, I bet you don't remember the original, and, <laughs> and two... This is the way I wish all remakes were made, where it's a wink and nod remake. It's it's so good. That's all I need to say about it. There's streams up on my Twitch and on my YouTube. Um, it's so good. It's so good. Cool. All right, let's uh, let's talk a little VR. Virtual reality. 
All right, Christian, I was really pleased last week to hear you uh, heap some praise on Damaged Core for Oculus because I've been playing a lot of that as well. And it's, it is so smart. What a brilliant concept for a, a VR game on a controller. It, you know, explaining why you can't move, allowing you to still be dynamic on the battlefield, uh, and giving you a rock-solid first-person shooter experience with great graphics and sort of dynamic AAA-level um, environments and stuff. I, I just think this game is is the perfect way to do a shooter without touch controls in VR. Um, you, you were, That's what you were saying last week too, right? Yeah, it's phenomenal. Um, and I know you had kind of talked about how after playing it, you were like, now I want to play Overwatch in VR. And I was like, yeah, okay, there's no way you can do a competitive first-person shooter in VR. You can. This game proves that you can. And, you know, you. I think it could be really dynamic where you set up, you know, you do some base building, so to speak, where you get to strategically deploy where your bodies will be that you jump into. That could be part of it. And then you're hopping around these bodies and doing this, that, and the other. Damaged Core, it's an Oculus exclusive made by High Voltage Studios. I will still heap praise on it. It's also 30 bucks. Which is even yeah. easier to recommend than sixty bucks, right? Yeah, I mean, it, to to recap, if you didn't hear last week's episode, uh, the idea is you are an AI construct and you are going into the battlefield, this futuristic robot battlefield, where they deploy you as the like super weapon because the robots are attacking the humans, and we figured out a way to shoot this AI construct that you play as into the robots themselves. Themselves. So there's these like these spherical orbs hovering over the the battlefield, and you can hop into those, and then they send out a pulse that senses which robots can be hacked, and then by pushing one button, you jump into that robot. So these robots are coming in waves and attacking the humans, and then you jump into them, and all of a sudden you're just like standing alongside them in their POV, and you turn to your left or right and just shoot them. And it's awesome. It's like they, you know, they you've infiltrated their ranks and now they're being attacked from the inside. And I felt like not only is this amazing for a VR game because, you know, as soon as you jump into them, they are no longer mobile and so you become this like this turret basically that you know goes from place to place and you don't have to worry about nausea for moving because you just leap into the next body. Not only is that great from a video game narrative and a and a, a VR sort of excuse for why things have to be the way they are, I think that works as as just a cool concept. Like that could be an awesome movie that they built an AI that can leap into the enemy enemy robots. It's 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 rad. My only complaint about the game is I hate aiming with my face. I really do. And I know that that's the way that a lot of this stuff works on Oculus right now because the touch controllers aren't out. But when you've played Vive and you've got these touch controllers and, and you play a game like Raw Data and you can look one direction and shoot the other, it's a game changer. And when the touch controllers come out for Oculus and hopefully games like this get an update where you can you can decouple aiming from your face because... You know, you have to swivel your head around so so drastically to to find the next enemy or find the next place you're going to leap into as the AI. Uh, I just want to point at it. I just want to be able to look and see where the guys are coming from and then point another direction and shoot like I can with the vibe. I think the face aiming, and I agree that, you know, um, Raw Data is an incredible game. 
I, but I think face aiming in this works because it makes it feel more frenzied because you're sitting here whipping your head around and you're you're in the thick of it because you got guys all around you. I, I think it would still work with touch and stuff like that. Um, but this has been the first game where I I'm okay with face aiming, even though my neck does get sore after about an hour and a half. <laughs> of, of it gets playing. it gets a little tough when you have to be more precise in in damage core, though, right? There's the there's the big robots that have the yeah. stuff on their shoulders, and you have to yeah. take them out before you can infiltrate them. And I found that 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 was when it felt unnatural because I think I think the core mechanic is a really elegant way of. Um, sort of justifying that mechanic that a lot of VR games are using, which is now you're going to warp over here, and now you're going to warp over here. And the fact that you are sort of embodying something every time you do that, I think is a really smart way to flip that on itself. But yeah, there were times where I found that I was sort of like intentionally warping to something else so I would get a clearer shot rather than trying to fine-tune where I was looking. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. It's like that guy has a better angle at the, the you know, the, the spawn point that I'm trying to destroy. So I'll just warp over to him rather than, you know, just be a better first person shooter player. But I think that's uh, cool. That's just a different dynamic in how you, a strategy to play the game. And I, I tried to do that once and the guy like walked two more steps. But when I warped into him, I didn't notice that there was a rock between me and the hive I was trying to take out. And I was just like, crap. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the, you know, a lot of the game too is like, defend me. And they're the way, you know, right. voiceover cues and stuff of the guy like, Oh, I'm good. I'm getting taken fire. I wish I could be looking at the dude taking fire and shooting at the guy next to me and not have to, decide which one of those two things I want to do, you know? Sure, and sure. and when you, when you have experiences with, with touch controllers that are individually mapped, it, it's, it's really is a completely different kind of experience because you're much more present in that world. You can look around like you would as a human being and do things with your hands, you know, and, and, and you feel so much more in control and so much more powerful to be able to, you know, shoot and look and shoot behind you and stuff. It's, it's, it's awesome. So I'm hoping these kinds of games, you know, the Gun Jack from CCP is another Oculus game where you where you shoot with your face. Um, and it's also awesome, but I really hope these games get updates when the touch controllers come out, come out so that you can, you know, look in a different place than you shoot. But, well, if you have the Oculus... Oh, <laughs> I have to tell a story. So, uh, obviously, a lot of, you've heard a lot about my little son, Jack, being born this week. Uh, he met some of his friends. Uh, Christian and his wife came over and met Jack. Uh, some of my other friends came over to meet Jack. Uh, big-time Hollywood director Dan Trachtenberg and friends came over. And uh, Dan, it was the first time he'd been to my house since I've had uh, VR. And he's like, oh, my God, I want to try it. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's go in and try it. I put him in the Oculus first blown away. Dan like flipped out, could not handle it. Put him in the Vive, could not handle Like he's like, I get it. Oh my God. I get it. I get it. Calls me in from the car on the way home. He said he ordered an Oculus. It'll be here on Tuesday, like in the parking lot. Like he left my house and ordered an Oculus on his phone as he was leaving because, uh, he was so blown away by the experience. So I think, uh, you know, that's, more proof of what I'm talking about. You have to experience it. And uh, it was so fun seeing him just flip out and be like, oh, this is amazing. I put him in the um, the Trials of Tatooine Star Wars experience. And I'm, I have to post the video I took of him playing it because he's like, I have goosebumps. I have goosebumps. This is the most amazing thing ever. Uh, 
which made me very, very happy. Are you a, a VR owner, John? Not yet. No, I don't have a PC that can uh, that can handle it. But um, every opportunity to do it elsewhere, I do. Um, I've Are been you? sort of holding off for the home. Also, I have a wife who's like, uh, we don't have a room in which I am prepared to let you set all that shit up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you PlayStation VR? I might. I might do PlayStation VR. So. Um, I, I have a story too, but I need to be a little vague because some of the stuff that I'm talking about is under embargo here. Um, but I do want to, so I had two experiences recently, both in VR, that um, I had two of the most extreme emotional responses I've ever had to a video game, and it's because they were in VR. One of them made me cry, and it wasn't because it was trying to manipulate me emotionally. It was the sort of magnitude of the thing made me cry. I had a very physical, emotional reaction to a game when it dropped me into an environment that was really huge and it was a mix of of the way that it looked and it felt. And then there was another game that I played that made me laugh harder than I've ever laughed in a game before. And I think for both of these experiences, they were very well crafted and in the case of the funny one, very well written. But I think it's that sense of being inside something and i think the one part in vr that doesn't people don't talk about a lot as well is how important audio is in vr yeah um it's great to be able to look around and everything to be 3d but when the when what you're hearing is synced up with it whether that's the music or it's dialogue or the it's just it takes you to a place that's very different than anything else and i think I am on both occasions when I took the helmet off, I felt very, it was, it was that sort of, you know, you always get that kind of coming out of VR weirdness where, you know, you, you have to readjust to the room you're in. Yeah. But with both of these, I also had this sort of emotional readjustment where I'm like, wow, I wasn't quite prepared for that. (laughs) Uh, Christian, I think we just heard John confirm portal VR. I think that's what we just heard. The funniest experience he's ever had. It's, a, it's only one game that could be. <laughs> no, it wasn't that. Um. <laughs> uh, but that's that's amazing, and that's what I've been talking about. And and you know, I think that people that write off VR as this flash in the pan, and there's all these stories this week that the sales have sort of plateaued a little bit. I think that when the touch controllers come out, especially when PlayStation VR comes out, I think more people are going to understand what all of us are talking about. And how this is a transformatory experience, and it really is different and much more powerful than any kind of games that we've played thus far. And we're playing through the kinks being worked out in front of the audience. You know, I think there is, there was never going to be a way that this would come out fully baked as an experience. I think there has to be the all of us playing things and experiencing things and responding to specific parts of the games in different ways so that the future generations of it will be refined. And I think, you know, VR 10 years from now will certainly be very different than it is right now. Yeah. It's so exciting. All right, guys, let's, uh, let's move on and carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Tabletop time, John, have you played any board games lately? I just picked up the um, the new Code Names 
the, oh, the, sort the picture of, one? No, the adult one. Oh, yeah. A go on. Well, it's just, it's code names, but it's got, it's got words that, you, that can be uh, perceived as being a bit naughty. I mean, it's not especially. It, it has like this, you know, it's a, it's a black box with no picture on it, and it says adult in a box on it. And it's not, it's not super adult, but it does make for a funnier name of, 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 of code names. Christian, you've played Codenames, right? Yes, I have played. I've not played the adult version of Codenames, but yeah, I, I feel like all of those games become adult, um, <laughs> depending yeah, right. on your group of friends. Right, and fair play to these guys for recognizing that, right? I'm going, <laughs> okay, well, we'll seed it a little more aggressively. Yeah, yeah. It's such a brilliant concept, and it, I think I love the idea that they, they're continuing to iterate on it. The picture one that I played a while back was pretty interesting, too, and I'm, I'm hoping, you know, it's, it's popular enough that it's going to be a, a platform where they're going to continue to do weird different versions. I, I mean, I don't want it to, I don't want it to get played out, but I also feel like, you know, more, more cards with more words on them that fit into different themes is, is not going to be a bad thing. Um, I want to read an email. We got an email from uh, Kurt Clark, uh, who says he was building on uh, last week's uh, discussion that Chris Bergman um, had of uh, mentions of madness he says, I just recently bought the newly released second edition of Mans- Mansions of Madness by Fantasy Flight Games and was very impressed by the sweeping updates made to the game, which is based on the Cthulhu mythos of H.P. Lovecraft. The first edition was released in 2011 and is an asymmetric co-op game with one player acting as Keeper Gatemaster, setting up the game board by laying down a series of different sized room tiles and cards within each to form a sweeping mansion based on the strict template imposed by the scenario being played. The remaining players form a band of investigators following contextual clues from location to location in the house, working against an in-game timer that guides the keeper to unleash new plot elements and threats during key rounds of the game. The second edition made Many much-needed improvements that I was hoping for. The main focus of the second edition is the Mansions of Madness mobile app. This takes the place of the Keeper, making the game 100% co-op. Setup time is reduced tenfold as the app helps unveil the house room by room as you explore, rather than having the entire map visible as in previous previous editions. Also, the app negotiate. Uh, excuse me. Also, the app negates the need to stock rooms with face-down piles of item, puzzle, and threat cards during the setup. Instead, opportunities to search and explore are highlighted in the app and are unlocked with a single touch, making it eerily close to playing a Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game. Two other key highlights. First, the app can shuffle up the rooms used and the uh, locations of key items in subsequent playthroughs of the same scenario, expanding the replayability factor. And second, the app lets you indicate which first edition products you already own, giving the app access to characters, rooms, and monsters from those sets and expansions to further increase the variability of playthroughs. That's smart. Yeah, really smart. He says the base set comes with four scenarios in the free-to-download app, and uh, the estimated playtimes range from 60 minutes to six hours. (laughs) Plus, uh, there's promise of future app-based scenarios being released. He says, I really enjoyed playing this with one of my friends uh, the other day, or the day I bought it. Uh, although we failed to save the world as the mansion was torn to pieces around us, we definitely have plans to go in again and attempt the same scenario, perhaps with a less sanity-shaking outcome. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Uh, awesome. I haven't played that second edition, Mans- Mansions of Madness, and uh, I have had, as we've talked about on the show, mixed opinions about using apps alongside uh, games. I, you know, Good examples of it are uh, Sheriff of Nottingham and... Um, 
uh, alchemists. And I, I personally think that uh, XCOM is a bad example of it, but I know a lot of people like that game too. So it's gl- I'm glad to hear that, that it works with this game because I haven't had a chance to try it myself. So thanks for the email, Kurt. You can always send us emails at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. And uh, we appreciate the interaction. All right, guys, uh, let's wrap up the show now. Um, I need some sleep. I am running on empty here, as you can tell by me being able to speak or read. But it's been fun to be back. I'm excited to get back to talking about games. Uh, We do have our parting gift coming up, so stay tuned for that. But uh, John Davison, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Where can people keep up with you? Um, so, uh, for me on Twitter, I am at JWH Davison. And then also we are at Glixel, G-L-I-X-E-L on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We are Glixel official. And if you want the newsletter, we're Glixel.com. So it's mostly obvious apart from the Facebook one. Very cool. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? If you're listening to this live or the day it gets posted, I'm headlining a show in San Diego Tuesday the 13th at Madhouse Comedy. I think I'm doing 30, but it's kind of gearing up for the new um, recording, which is going to be. I'm also recording at a place called La Stats in San Diego. November 15th at 9 p.m. is the the first attempt at the second album. I, you know, the, the beauty of live comedy is there's no guarantee it ever gets released. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. I laugh hard at that because I know uh, the work I have ahead of me. Um, but Tuesday is, is 30 minutes. It's a, it's a big chunk of um, things, pieces that I've been working on coming together. So that'll be fun if you're in or around San Diego. Come out to that. Otherwise, um, head over to the YouTube, which is youtube.com slash christianspicer713 or Twitch, which is just twitch.tv slash christianspicer713. Uh, my schedule hasn't been super regular, but I am getting on and streaming a couple of times a week. You need week. fiber. Fiber for that. Fiber. Fiber. Well, I need fiber internet for that too, apparently. Yeah. Fiber in, fiber out. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I'm streaming a couple times a week. And as the holiday approaches, I know there's going to be some fun stuff going on there as well. And then my parenting podcast is called Department of Parenting. We had our <laughs> our first review recently where <laughs> someone was like, I, tr- <laughs> I tried this show and I hate it. I feel bad for their kids. They're going to be wrecked. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, That's a ringing endorsement. I got to listen to that. It cuts me deep, right? It's uh, But always the fear when you put out a parenting podcast, people won't agree. <laughs> I got to I gotta start listening, man. Yeah, welcome to the department. Get. You're you're welcome to come on whenever, yeah. but maybe you don't want to with that, uh, <laughs> with that iTunes review. And then Twitter is easy. It's at Spicer is the easiest way. To get in touch with me. New things are coming down the pipe in early pre-production on some bigger projects, but nothing to announce yet. What about you? I am just ramping back into my schedule. The Slash Filmcast, we recorded one about uh, Sully, the new Tom Hanks film from Clint Eastwood. And um, that should be out, I think, today or tomorrow. You should check that out at SlashFilmcast.com. I'm out all this week on uh, We Have Concerns, but we have an awesome guest host sitting in with Anthony Carboni. Chris Straub is uh, sitting in with him and uh, proving, again, as Christian did last week on this show, I am uh, merely riding the coattails of my co-hosts and and mostly superfluous. But uh, check those out at WeHaveConcerns.com. Lots of fun to be had there. All right, guys, uh, let's give the people something to get them through their week with our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift.
Christian, do you have a parting gift to help people get through their week? I do it, and I maybe the silliest one I've ever done, but I mean it. Um, Honeycrisp apples. There was a debate among comedian friends recently about the best apple, and, and I think Fiji won. And I just could not. It was a side debate during a fantasy football draft. We had a fantasy apple draft. And Honeycrisp apples are the best apples ever. They're more widely available now than they used to be. They used to be harder to find, man. They used to be kind of expensive. And I pulled this up from the Wikipedia page. Uh, so this is a Wikipedia entry on Honeycrisp apples. Honeycrisp apple flowers are self-sterile, so other apple varieties must be nearby as a pollinizer in order to get fruit. Most other apple varieties will pollinize Honeycrisp as well as varieties of crab apple. But Honeycrisp will not come true when grown from its own seed. Trees grown from the seeds of Honeycrisp apples will be hybrids of the Honeycrisp and of the pollinizer, which kind of blew my mind. Uh, food science, how you feel about big, big uh, ag or whatever. But Honeycrisp apples are delicious, and I am glad that farmers are out there putting in the work to create new Honeycrisp when you can't even replant the thing. That's hey, Christian, did you know, did you know that, that if you tried a different variety of apple every day, you would eat a new apple for 20 years. Wow. There are enough variety of apples that you could have a different variety of apple every day for 20 years. Well, that blows my mind. I, mean, I won't do that because Honeycrisp all day, every day. I love <laughs> oh, that first bite of a Honeycrisp apple is, is it's, it's beautiful. It's all right. It's the well, you don't know. There's so many other apples out. out there. You might be missing out. Uh, Christian coming out hard and strong for apples, y'all. Honeycrisp apples. Not all apples. Don't dilute the message here, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I hope that if you guys have listened to the show, you heard Christian mention uh, his uh, muo, his kef muo. <laughs> muo. Is it muo? Muo? Yeah, I don't know. Um, that's the speaker. Uh, it's a it's a standalone Bluetooth speaker. Uh, they sent one to him. They also sent one to me. Uh, so thank you to Kef for sending us uh, speakers. And I want to say, um, obviously, got it from them for free. But man, it's pretty cool. Pretty darn cool. It's a little you know tube thing kind of thing. It's it's fairly light and easily portable, and uh, it sounds awesome. I've been using it a lot. I took it to the hospital with us to uh, play music while my wife was in labor. And uh, now I've been, what? Sorry, I don't want to interrupt. I don't want to finish what you're saying, but did you play any board games? (laughs) No, we brought a bunch. (laughs) We brought a bunch. It turns out uh, it's a chaotic environment. (laughs) Turns out out music, a lot lot easier to to deal with. (laughs) It's your turn, honey. Oh, come on. Are you seriously going to breathe? All right, fine. Uh, we wanted to play games. I, she was all excited about that. But uh, yeah, it turns out lots of other stuff on our minds. <laughs> um, anyway, this Kef speaker, really, really cool. Um, and I've been also using it since the birth of Jack to uh, play music and dance around the house, holding him in my arms and, you know, play stuff for, you know, soothing stuff for him too. So it's been really nice having it at this time in our life. And uh, I, I recommend it. It's really cool. Check out the Muo, M-U-O from Kef. And uh, thanks to them for sending it to me. Uh, John, do you have uh, any recommendations? I do. I don't. I don't know if you guys talked about it before, but I, I'm a big Mr. Robot fan. Oh, yeah. And uh, have you guys tried the um, the game that uh, Night School did? No, I've heard really good things about it, but I have not tried it. So this is the guys that made Oxenfree, the indie game that came out about yeah, six months game. ago. Yeah, we loved it. Really good. So um, this is if you've ever played um, Lifeline. 
which is a, a game that plays out as a conversation. Um, Lifeline was one where you're talking to a, a guy who's stranded on another planet. Um, and, oh, and I do remember that game. That was really effective, and they did various versions of it. So the Mr. Robot game uses a similar idea, and the idea is that you, the, when you boot up the game, it presents as though it's an evil core um, chat application, and the story behind it is that you found a character from the story's phone and she's messaging you and the entire story plays out with her sending you texts basically and getting you to do stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it's really well done. And not only is it really well written and it f- actually feels like a conversation in a chat application, but it even has sort of weird little typos and stuff that people would make when they were texting to each other. So it feel, it's about as close as a sort of controlled chat experience can feel. And it's really well done. And it actually plugs in a bit of a story gap in season one of Mr. Robot. That's cool. I got to check that out. I remember that Lifeline game. That was so neat. And I, I like I like those you know, sort of convince you that there's a real person on the end, the end of the line type of. Yeah. And they'll do things like they'll, they'll, you know, they'll be like, okay, I'm going to go do this. I'll, I'll, I'll message you again in an hour. And it'll literally, the game will just like go on hold for an hour while this person <laughs> goes and does something. Awesome. Very cool. So that's called, uh, what is it called? It's Mr. Called, Robot. It has a really, if you search for Mr. Robot on either iOS or, or, uh, or Android, it'll, it has this really weird name that looks like a file name. It's like awesome. Mr. Robot and then a string of numbers. <laughs> awesome. Uh, all right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, thanks to John Davison and Christian Spicer. And uh, thanks again also to Chris Bergman last week for uh, filling in and at the last minute and making the show happen while I was in absentia. Uh, thank you to all the people that hung out in our chat room and contributed to the show in real time. We appreciate it. Thanks to everybody that sent us emails to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We appreciate that too. We will be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.